Hi, you're listening to GCC Revision with Jazz and it's me, Jazz. Today we're going to be doing Act 5, Scene 1 to Act 5, Scene 4. So, three scenes of Macbeth. No, it's four scenes. I apparently can't do maths. Uh, make sure you have your script with you, at least three different coloured highlighters. And we will be going through the text together, looking through the key themes and points. And hopefully this episode will help you understand Act 5, Scene 1 to Act 5, Scene 4 in more detail and to understand it better. Okay, so let's get started. So, I know that I released a podcast episode yesterday and normally I do like one podcast episode a week but I was feeling productive today and actually I think that we can finish the whole Macbeth series by this week if I continue being productive and actually doing work in the summer holidays so stay tuned for that and I actually do think we'll finish it. I'm also going to do a Macbeth recap podcast episode also when I finished going through it and it's not going to be like really in depth it's just going to be like a storyline like a timeline kind of thing and some revision activities you can do I've already done an episode on how to revise for English literature so I'll just be going over the points pretty much in that podcast episode and then we'll be done with Macbeth and I've actually really enjoyed it guys doing this with you and you know just going through my Macbeth script because actually it's helped me um and you wouldn't think it would help me that much but it really does because I can go through the text again once I've annotated it with my teacher and just saying it out loud and reading again just helps me I think remember the quotes so I would recommend doing that as well if I were you like going through your um script once you've finished it and reading through it and maybe just reading it out loud pretend you're me and you're doing a podcast or you could make a podcast lucky for you i haven't trademarked this idea is that what you do to ideas trademark them anyway so like i was saying um this Macbeth series probably will be finished and then i don't know what i'll do on this podcast uh maybe i'll focus more into science sorry that's my knuckles or something else so let's get into it like i do this one well, okay i was trying to say five sentences all at once and it just came out wrong just give me a second so like i say in every podcast episode for macbeth make sure you have your script with you uh having a copy of the modern text will help you a lot because you'll actually understand what you're reading if you don't have a copy of the modern text, that's fine. Go to sparknotes.com and there should be a copy of the modern text on there with Shakespeare. I'm sorry if you can hear voices. My cousins and grandparents are around. So if you hear voices, that's probably them. Um, not me just pretending to be loads of random people. That would just be weird. Um, where was I? I just lost my drift. So yeah, uh, sparknotes.com under the Shakespeare section and under Macbeth there should be a modern text and when I read along it would be so beneficial for you to not just be staring at your phone or something but also read along with me. Um, what I used to do with my teacher is when we would read along as a class I would read um, the modern text while they do it so I know what they're talking about and when we go back to annotate like we would be doing then I read the um original text I forgot what it was called then and then 
you'll be able to understand it much better and it will just be much more straightforward for you. Okay, so uh, like I do in every podcast episode, I feel like I've said that sentence five times, but I do this every podcast episode, so basically I'm just going to explain the structure of my um, episodes. So basically what I do is I split each scene up in sections, unless it's a short short scene, uh, because then there's no need. But I split these scenes into sections, I will tell you when we move on to a new section, um, I read it first, and this is your time to read the modern text and all the original text, like read along with me. Um, and then I basically annotate it. Give me a second, I just need to um, close my door because when siblings enter the room, they never close the door afterwards, which is so annoying. But um, that's something you have to live with if you have siblings. And if you don't have siblings, I envy you. Please take my sibling. Please. Okay, anyway. Um, Let's do a little recap of what Act 4, Scene 3 was. So, last episode we did... Act, oh, I can't speak anymore. Last episode we did Act 4, Scene 3. That was basically a conversation between Malcolm and Macduff. Um, and basically, Macduff is trying to convince Malcolm to come to um, Scotland to take his place as the rightful heir to the throne. Um, and Malcolm is wary and suspicious of Macduff because he doesn't know if... Macduff is on Macbeth's side and, and they're just trying to like um, bait him in so that Macduff can, Macbeth can kill Malcolm. So he kind of does this whole trick and lies about how he's a really bad king, he would be a really bad king and he'd be really lustful and greedy and that compared to him Macbeth would look like a sweet innocent lamb. Um, but obviously this is not the case, he's just trying to see if Macduff will... Um, go along with it and be like oh yeah no it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter you'll be worse than Macbeth you can still be king so if he would say that then that means he is a traitor because he's not really looking for um a a better king he's just baiting him in and if he says oh no I'm sorry you can't be king you would be even worse then um Malcolm knows that Macduff is truly trying to find a good king and act four scene three is also where Macduff learns that his wife and children and his servants everyone who was basically in the castle were killed um and i think that's it basically oh yeah and there is a little section where they talk about king edward and they talk about how he is um he has healing powers and it's basically just to um show the difference between macbeth and not lady macbeth macbeth and king edward so that's the summary done of act four scene three and now we're on to act five scene one now act five scene one is basically about um a conversation between the doctor and the gentlewoman and they're talking about lady macbeth's state of mind um and she's not doing very good and then lady macbeth enters and she has this full-on out you damn spot kind of soliloquy little soliloquy um and um she kind of confesses to her crimes and that's it, I think, for Act 5, Scene 1. Yeah, it's around three pages long, so it won't take that long to annotate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first section now. Enter a doctor of physic and a waiting gentlewoman. Doctor, I have two nights watched with you, but can perceive no truth in your report. When was it she last walked? Gentlewoman, 
since his majesty went into the field i have seen her rise from her bed throw her nightgown upon her unlock her closet take forth paper fold it write it uh, write upon it read it afterwards seal it and again return to bed yet all this whilst in a most fast sleep doctor a great per perturbation in nature to receive at once the benefit of sleep and do the line effects of walking in this slumbery agitation besides her walking and other actual performances what at any time have you heard her say gentlemen that sir which i will not report after her doctor you may to me and tis most meet you should gentlemen neither to you nor any one having no witness to confirm my speech enter lady macbeth with the taper lo you here she comes this is her very guise and upon my life fast asleep observe her stand close doctor how come how came she by that light gentlewoman why it stood by her she has light by her continually tis her command okay i'm going to stop there so the gentlewoman says that Lady Macbeth take forth paper, fold it, write upon it, read it, afterwards seal it. So this could be her confession. She's writing down her crimes that she's committed and the part she played in the regicide and then, you know, sealing it. And this might be the guilt that's playing on her. That's the guilt she faces. Then the doctor says, a great perturbation in nature to receive at once the benefit of sleep, which basically means it's unnatural to be asleep and act as if you're awake. So he sees it as an illness and again just shows the, how uh, not being able to sleep is an unnatural deed and a natural thing that will happen. Then the gentlewoman says, that sir, which I will not report after her, after the doctor asks um, the gentlewoman, what have you heard her say? And it shows that the gentlewoman is loyal to Macbeth, or it could mean she doesn't have evidence, or she's not sure if it's safe to share, or even that she can't even believe what Lady Macbeth is saying is true. Then Lady Macbeth enters with a taper. The fact that she's holding a candle might be to protect her from darkness, because before she seeked darkness, and maybe she's trying to be forgiven by God. And then the gentlewoman says she has light by her continually, but when the doctor asks how did she get that candle, and this could be a sign of Lady Macbeth's paranoia that she can't be in darkness, because ultimately darkness was what drived, driven what drived her to actually help Macbeth in his right side. Then the yep. Yeah, then we're going to move on to the next section, doctor. You see her eyes are open, gentlewoman. Aye, but their sense is shut. Doctor, what is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. Gentlewoman, it is an accustomed action with her to seem thus washing her hands. I have known her continue in this a quarter of an hour. Lady Macbeth. So now Lady Macbeth is speaking. Yet here's a spot. Doctor, hark, she speaks. I will set down what comes from her to satisfy my remembrance the more strongly. Lady Macbeth, out, damn spot, out, I say. One, two, why then, tis time to do it. Hell is murky. Fie, my lord, fie, a soldier and a feared. What need we fear who knows it when none can call our power to account? Yet, 
Who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? Doctor, do you mark that? Lady Macbeth. The Thane of Fife had a wife. Where is she now? What, will these hands and ear be clean? No more, o oh that, my lord, no more, o oh that. You mar all with this startling. Doctor. Go, go, go. You have known what you should not. Oh no, never mind. Go to, go to. You have known what you should not. Gentlewoman, she has spoke what she should not. I am sure of that. Heaven knows what she has known. Okay, so let's unpick this little section. The gentlewoman says it's an accustomed action with her to seem thus washing her hands. The washing of her flesh is emblematic of the purging of sin in Christianity. So it's alluding to a allusion to the Bible. So by washing your hands, it's kind of like getting rid of your sins. So again, it shows us that she's trying to get rid of what she's done. She's heavily ridden with guilt. Um... Then she says, out damned spot, Lady Macbeth. The fact that Lady Macbeth only has one spot of blood, um, it does nothing to lessen her panic and level of guilt she carries with her. The spot of blood represents the many crimes the pair has committed and she cannot control this kind of paranoia. Then she says, one, two. Now this could allude to the bells ringing uh, and the bells that were ringing Wait, give me a second. So this could allude to the bells ringing that she rang to invite Macbeth to kill the king. Uh, and she speaks in fragments. So again, it shows her haunting memories of her actions coming back to her in short bursts. Because in this little bit, she's talking about Duncan's murder. But in the next bit, she's talking about um, being in the banquet. And I'll explain that on later on. I'll explain that later on. Then she says, hell is murky, that's just some hellish imagery. And then she says, yet yeah, who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him? Uh, like I said, she switches between scenes because she's speaking fragmented memories. Uh, and that is alluding to Duncan's murder. And when we consider Lady Macbeth's um, role she plays in relation to her original sin, the, acting of tempti- the act of tempting her husband to commit regicide is like um, Eve... Try Eve like um, eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden, and she also convinced Adam to do so. So she's um, likened to be the bad guy. And then she says, The Thane of Fife had a wife, where is she now? It sounds lyrical, it's a taunting tone, and she is unwell and confused. And her style of speech reflects this. Uh, and then she, when she says, where is she now? It could be like she fears her husband's actions and also reflects how Lady Macbeth and Macbeth aren't as close as they were before because she doesn't really know half of the plans that Macbeth has done, like killing Banquo. It just shows her lack of knowledge. And then she says, no more, oh that, my lord, no more, oh that, you mar all this with startling. Um, and this, this, this is where we know that she is flicking between scenes because this is... She repeats the words she said in the banquet and again shows a fragmented mind. Okay, then sh- let's go on to the next section. Is this the last section? Yeah. So, here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh, oh, oh. Doctor, what a sigh is there. The heart is sorely charged. Sorely charged. Gentlewoman, 
I would not have such a heart in my bosom for the dignity of the whole body. Doctor. Well, 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 gentlewoman. Pray God it be, sir. Doctor. This disease is beyond my practice. Yes, I have no known those which have walked in their sleep who have died holily in their bed. Lady Macbeth. Wash your hands, put on your nightgown, look not so pale. I tell you yet again, Banquo is buried. He cannot come out of the grave. Doctor, even so, Lady Macbeth, to bed, to bed. There's knocking at the gate. Come, 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 give me your hand. What's done cannot be undone. To bed, to bed, to bed. Lady Macbeth exits. Doctor, will she go now to bed? Gentlewoman. Directly. Doctor. Foul whisperings are abroad. Unnatural deeds do breed unnatural troubles. Infected minds to their death pillows will discharge their secrets. More needs she the divine than the physician. God, God forgive us all. Look after her. Remove from her the means of all annoyance and still keep eyes upon her. So good night. My mind has, my mind she has mated and amazed my sight, I think, but dare not speak. Gentlewoman, good night, good doctor, exuant, exuant means all exit. Okay, so when Lydia Macbeth says all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand, it mirrors Macbeth's word, words um, before when she, he said, will all, will all of great Neptune's waters dry this hand something like that you should remember that quote i just don't remember the exact words and it shows that not just the blood alarms her but the reminder of the sin and the sin she's committed which is symbolic of her guilt and then the gentlewoman said i says i would not have such a heart in my bosom for the dignity of the whole body which means i wouldn't want a heart like hers even if you made me queen now, Shakespeare views, it shows Shakespeare's views about knowing one's place in the great chain of being. If one dares to step out of place, then this is the fate. Um, and then Lady Macbeth, says, Lady Macbeth says, wash your hands, put on your nightgown, look not so pale. I'll tell you yet again, Banquo is buried. He cannot come out of his graves. Uh, short sentences, she's, she's talking in imperatives. She's trying to go back to the moments when she was in charge. Now she has no control over herself, but she's trying to go back to those times when she was dominant. And again, she's flicked back to the scene at the banquet, so again shows that she's flicking between the scenes. Um, now I just want to talk about Lady Macbeth for a bit before we go on, continue annotating the rest. I want to talk about how Lady Macbeth has been missing from the stage from for some time. Uh, and we last saw her at, I think it was the banquet scene in act three scene four um and despite being such a catalyst for Macbeth's motivation in the early scenes his prior decisions to act out without her continues and she he's just leaving her behind now the forgotten lady Macbeth marks a radical departure from the woman who had called upon evil spirits drive and determination instead she is destroyed by guilt of what they have done she can no longer hide her part in the horror they have committed together and her conscience finally overwhelms her in the scene. While she did not actively kill Duncan, she was a key catalyst in Macbeth's ultimate decision to do so. 
She has played a part in regicide and thus cannot prosper. And the punishment for her crimes comes in the form of her breakdown, paranoia and ultimate death by suicide, which happens later on in the play. Now let's talk about sleepwalking. So this scene is littered with Lady Macbeth's subconscious paranoia that she has suppressed um, and the guilt about the events that she possesses. Now in the 19th century, um, people who sleepwalked were thought to be possessed by the devil. And perhaps it's not just Lady Macbeth's guilt that has caused her to sleepwalk, but instead her potential links with the witches. She called on spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, and arguably the, re the resolution of her storyline is, sim is symbolic of these ties with evil that she made earlier in the play. Those spirits are feeding off her mind, and as a result, and as a mortal, she cannot cope with their intrusion. Uh, now let's talk about motive of hands. There's quite a few things you can say about this scene, as you can tell. So Lady Macbeth is seen washing her hands, a repeat of her actions in Act 2, Scene 2, just after Duncan's murder. Whilst initially in the play, hands are symbolic of loyalty and devotion. They are soon associated with betrayal and foul intention later on, like in this scene. If you can remember, in Act 3, Scene 1, where Macbeth voices his concerns regarding the threat of Banquo's issue... Macbeth muses about the fact that his crown will be taken from him, wretched with an unlineal hand. Macbeth then is very afraid of the very thing he himself is guilty of, otherwise, uh, other throwing the monarchy, not otherwise. Having completed this action himself, he is well aware that others are capable of doing the same thing, and this fear drives him to action. Whereas before Duncan was killed by Macbeth himself, he now hires murderers to kill Banquo for him, and this is because of his fear of discovery. In an ironic way, this is what Macbeth has always wanted. He has always used darkness to segregate. Now, however, he is a powerful enough, he is in a powerful enough position to instruct others to translate his thoughts to action. So this gives him a sense of false security because he feels he cannot feel guilty if he has caught if he hasn't carried out an act with his own hands, but he is still haunted by Banquo's ghost. If Banquo's ghost shows audiences how much destruction hands can cause, Act 4 demonstrates their ability to heal. Macbeth ha Macbeth's hands are the harbingers of destruction and are completely at odds with those of Edward's, the confessors, who cures those who suffer by touching them with his hands. Ultimately, it is Malcolm who has Edward's healing touch, for he is the one who will restore order and heal Scotland from its sickness. As a result, hands are representative of honesty and truth as well as destruction. And in Act 5, Lady Macbeth is obsessively scrubbing her hands, trying to get rid of a spot of blood that stains her hands. She describes her hands as, a lit uh, as little. She projects her mental vulnerabilities onto her physical state. She feels weak and is so incapable of seeing her hands as the destructive forces they are. Instead, she sees them as fragile and feminine, which she has always hated and she's always wanted to be masculine. And then Lady Macbeth says, so we're going back to annotating now. So... Then Lady Macbeth says there's knocking at the gate. So we're going back to the night of Duncan's killing. It's no more at the banquet again. And then she says, what's done cannot be undone. So she's still in the moment of getting over the guilt. But it seems like she is guilty because she's just focusing on the fact that she cannot take the murder of Duncan back. 
Then the doctor says she needs more needs she the divine than the physician. So he's basically saying that she needs a priest more than a doctor. So she has done evil acts which are unnatural things and he can't help because this is between um, a godly presence because she's basically disrupted the divine right of kings which is God's will of who will be king or not. So it's a matter with God because um, she's committed a sin. And then the doctor says, remove her from all the means of annoyance. So this is why the theory that Lady Macbeth killed herself comes from, because basically this line means, remove anything she might hurt herself with. So, which is exactly what happens. She does commit suicide. And this acknowledges how little he is able to help her, but also the consequence of her condition. And then... The doctor says, I think, but dare not to speak. So he ha he basically means he has an opinion, but he doesn't want to say it out loud. Because he knows that, and we know at this point, in Macbeth's rule, you aren't allowed free speech, really. You have to um, stay quiet. So any move to criticise the rule or actions of the king or his wife will, will basically be treason, and he fears the monarchy. And then the gentlewoman says, good night, good doctor. And then everyone exits. So that is Act 5, Scene 1. Now we're going to move on to Act 5, Scene 2. So now, from here, the scenes are quite short, from Act 5, Scene 2 till the end of Macbeth, to kind of um, make it more fast-paced. I did write somewhere what that means, but I can't find it. But, like I said, it's really fast-paced now to create, like, this um, scene... Sorry, my cousin was trying to talk to me then. Uh, to create this... Um... <laughs> I completely forgot. Give me a second. Stop laughing! To create this fast-paced battle scene. So, um, this is the bit where we first get introduced to the idea that they're going to have a war now. So, Act 5, Scene 2 is really, really short. It's like hardly a page long. And it's basically a conversation between Menteith, Caithness, Angus, and Lennox. So let's read out this scene. I'm not going to split it into sections because, it's a sh because it is a short scene. Menteith. The English power is near, led on by Malcolm, his uncle Siward, and the, the good Macduff. Revenges burn in them, for their dear causes would to the bleeding and the grim alarm excite the mortified man. Angus. Near Burnham Wood shall we well meet them. That way are they coming. Caithness. Who knows if Dolobane be with his brother? Lennox. For certain, for certain, sir, he is not. I have a file of all the gentry. There is Seward's son and many unroy youths that even now protest their first of manhood. Menteith. What does the tyrant, Caithness, great Dunsinane, ha he strongly fortifies? Some say he's mad, others that lesser hate him, do call it valiant fury. But for certain, he cannot buckle his distempered cause within the belt of rule. Angus, now does he feel his secret murder sticking on his hands. Now minutely revolts, unbraided his faith breach. 
Those he commands move only in command, nothing in love. Now does he feel his title hang loose about him, like a giant's robe upon a dwarfish, dwarfish thief. Mentif. Who then shall blame his pestered senses to recoil and start, when all that is within him does condemn it itself for being there? Caithness. Well, march we on to give obedience where tis truly owed. Meet we the... Sukraj, be quiet. They keep talking while I'm doing this. God. Meet we the medicine of the sickly wheel, and with him pour we in our country's purge each drop of us. Lennox, or so much as it needs, to do the foreign flower and drown the weeds, make we our march towards Burnham. So Menteith says revenge is burning them when he's talking about Uncle Seward, Macduff and Malcolm. So by having a war, it's more noble that it's not for power but for vengeance. Uh, and they feel so strongly about deposing the tyrannical king that their energy could bring dead men back, which is basically what... Um, Okay, I've got my siblings out. For some reason, they wanted to be in the room, but they just ended up making more noise than anything. So, I've taken them out of my room. So, because if you read the other lines for Mentif in this scene, he talks about how the wrongs they have suffered would make dead men rise up. So, that's basically that point. And in removing Macbeth from the throne and putting Malcolm on the throne, they are they are not bringing Duncan back to life but they're going to continue his legacy so angus then says near burnham wood shall we meet them which echoes a witch's prophecies about burnham wood moving so it gives a hint to the audience that Macbeth will die or Macbeth will have his downfall soon then kathneys says uh in response to menteith asking kathness what does the tyrant what is he doing the tyrant who is Macbeth she says I mean they say sorry I said she because it just sounds like Katniss and I just have the image of Katniss from the Hunger Games in my brain Caithness says some say he's mad others that lesser hate him he cannot buckle his distemptive cause within the belt of rule so Macbeth is losing loyalty and support um as information has been leaked again like they did say that he's out of control um and that he he's insane and he's being abandoned by people who once respected him then Angus says his secret murders sticking on his hand so which means now Macbeth feels the blood of his murders enemy sticking to his hands Angus believes that Macbeth is no longer able to hide from his heinous crimes he has committed and then the motif of clothing is brought up because it says um his title hangs loose about him like a giant's robe upon a dwarfish thief so he is not fit to wear the crown and he has stolen the crown because he's a thief. And Shakespeare tries to justify the actions of Macduff through because technically he is committing regicide, but it's for vengeance and for a good cause. Then, then Caithness says, Meet we the medicine of the sickly wheel and with him pour we in our country's purge each drop of us. Which means we're going to meet Malcolm, the doctor who will cure our sick country, will pour out our own blood to help him. So Macbeth is referred as an illness here and Malcolm is a cure. And that is it for Act 5, Scene 2. Now Act 5, Scene 3 is a conversation between Macbeth and a doctor. 
it is longer than Act 4, Act 5, Scene 2, around two pages, but again, still short. And like I said, we're going to be flicking between Malcolm's side and Macbeth's side a lot, which is flicking in between to and from, again, to create this tense atmosphere and a fast-paced battle scene to create tension. So Act 5, Scene 3 is how Shakespeare presents Macbeth as frantically pacing around and getting really um, paranoid, kind of. So, let's read the first bit of Act 5, Scene 3. I will be putting this into sections, by the way. Enter Macbeth, Doctor and Attendants. Macbeth, bring me no more reports, let them fly by, till Burnham Wood removed to Dunsinane, I cannot taint with fear. What's the boy Malcolm? Was he not born of women? The spirits that know all mortal consequences have pronounced me thus. Fear not, Macbeth, no man that's born of woman shall e'er e have power upon thee. Then fly, false Danes, and mingle with the English epicures. The mind I sway by and the heart I bear shall never sag with doubt nor shake with fear. Enter a servant. The devil damn thee black, thou queen-faced loon. Where got'st thou that goose look? Servant. There is ten thousand. Macbeth. Geese, villain. Servant, soldier, sir, Macbeth, go prick thy face and overread thy fear. Thou lily-livered boy, what soldier's patch, death of thy soul, those linen cheeks of thine are counsellors of fear, what soldier's way face? Servant, the English force, so please you, Macbeth, take thy face hence. Exit servant. Okay, so, Macbeth is speaking in imperatives uh so it shows that he is quite confident at this point in the beginning of the scene and then he says what's the boy malcolm he tries to play down the threat of his enemies he tried by calling him a boy like he's foolish or just not um capable of overthrowing him and he heavily relies on the prophecies still. He's like, was he not born of woman? Fear not Macbeth, no man that born of woman shall he have power upon he. It's his hubris. He's well aware he is not supported of, but he doesn't care because he's heavily relying on the prophecies, which are creating a false sense of safety between him. And he's, order he's ordering people. Um, and the prophecies are making him feel invincible, even though he he's anything but... Then, when the servant exits and he looks really pale-faced, he says, The devil damp thee black, thou cream-faced loon, where gots thou that goose look? Which means, may the devil turn you black, you white-faced fool, why do you look like a frightened goose? So this suggests that the servant is weak, and he's insulting the servant and abusing his power, which likens him to a tyrant. Again, we see um face-to-face -face now because we've always heard that Macbeth's a tyrant and he's a horrible person now but we've never actually seen it and now we see that he actually is really mean um and then the servant says there is ten thousand uh and then he's like geese villain like what do you mean that ten thousand of what uh and he meant soldiers so we learn the magnitude of the situation then Macbeth upon hearing this says prick thy faced lily livered boy linen cheeks of thine way face he insults his cowardice he's like why are you so scared um possibly because it's intimidating him that he should feel scared but he doesn't because of the prophecies 
Uh, and the servant exits. Now let's read the next section of Act 5, Scene 3. Now this is, this is Macbeth talking. Satan, I am sick at heart when I behold. Satan, I say, this push will cheer me ever or deceit me now. I have lived long enough. My way of life is fallen into the sear, the yellow leaf, at that which should accompany old age as honour, love, obedience, truth of friends, I must not look to have. But in their steed, curses, not loud but deep, mouth honour, breathe, which the poor heart would fain deny and dare not Satan. Enter Satan. Satan, what's your gracious pleasure? Macbeth. What news more? Satan. All is confirmed, my lord, which was reported. Macbeth. I'll fight till from my bones my flesh be hacked. Give me my armour. Satan. Tis not needed yet. Macbeth. I'll put it on. Send out more horses. Scur the country round. Hang those that talk of fear. Give me mine armour. How does your patient, doctor? Doctor. Not so sick, my lord, as she's troubled with thick-coming fancies that keep her from her rest. Macbeth. Cure her of that. Canst thou not minister to a mind disease, pluck from the memory of rooted sorrow, raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote cleanse the stuffed bosom of the perilous stuff with which weighs upon the heart? Doctor, therein the patient must minister to himself. Macbeth, throw physic to the dog, I'll none of it. Come, put mine armour on. Give me my staff, Satan, send out, Doctor, the things fly from me, come, sir, dispatch. If thou couldst, Doctor, cast the water of my land, find her disease and purge it to a sound and pristine health, I would applaud thee to the very echo, that should applaud again. Pull, pull it off, I say, what rhubarb, senna, or what purgative drug would scour these English hence? Hearst thou of them, Doctor. I, my good lord, your royal preparation makes us hear something. Macduff, I mean Macbeth, bring it after me. I will not be afraid of death and bane till Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane. Doctor, were I from Dunsinane away and clear, Prophet again should hardly draw me here. Exuant. Okay, so he calls for Satan, Satan, which in the script... It's spelled S-E-Y-T-O-N, so it's not spelled like Satan, like S-A-T-A-N. So it sounds like he's calling the devil Satan. By calling him three times, it shows his loosening grip on power, and that even his own stuff lacks his authority that he had before. Even he has to call them more than once, they're not as scared of him as they were before. Then he says, I have lo lived long enough, Macbeth says that, so he's lost everything in his life worth living for. Then he talks about, um, and that which should accompany old age as honour, love, obedience, troops of friends I must not look have. Which means the things that should go along with old age, like honour, love, obedience and loyal friends, I cannot hope to have. He seems to pity his own position. He's realising that the crimes he's committed has not given him the things he needed to live a happy life. Um, and then Satan talks a lot in the scene. He says... Tis not needed yet, um, which show, which foreshadows his death because he's not going to need the armour anyway because he's going to die. And also he's kind of manipulating um, Macbeth, just how Satan manipulates people. And then Macbeth says, I'll fight till my, from my bones my flesh be hacked. So he vows to fight to the end.
when Macbeth says, hang those that talk of fear to the doctor, it shows his tyrannical nature. And despite his frantic terror, he still leans on his power to make sure other people don't feel terrified, which is because he doesn't, he doesn't want, like, to look weak. And then he says, how does your patient, doctor? Like, how is your patient, doctor? To the doctor. By saying patient and not saying wife, again, it shows a distant relationship. And then the doctor says he cannot cure Lady Macbeth. And then the Macbeth said, cure her of that. He's missing the severity of the situation and underplays the disease because he's so preoccupied in the war, like the supposed war that's going on. He just doesn't care anymore. And then he starts talking about a mind diseased, the memory of a rooted sorrow, sweet, oblivious antidote weighs upon that heart. He's talking about himself in that way. And then Macbeth says, throw physic to the dog, I'll none of it. So he says medicine is for dogs. He doesn't like the doctor's response that he that the patient must heal himself. And he's angry at their response because he just wants to find an easy way out. And it could highlight his frustration at, of his guilt. He doesn't want to be guilty, but he is. And then Macbeth says, I will not be afraid of death and bane. He's trying to convince himself of the security in his position. And the doctor said, Why, Were I from Dunsinane away and clear, prophet again should hardly draw me here. So the doctor's basically saying, I wish I were far away from Dunsinane. You couldn't pay me to come back here. He's concerned and he wants to leave Macbeth. Just shows that everybody doesn't want to be with Macbeth. And then we go to Act 5, Scene 4. Sorry, I went through that scene really quickly because it is fast-paced. So Act 5, Scene 4, we go back to Malcolm and Macduff's side. And this one is about a page long, hardly. So I'm, I'm not going to split this into sections either. Act 5, Scene 4, Drum and Colours. Enter Malcolm, Seward, Macduff, Seward's son, Menteith, Caithness, Angus, Lennox, Ross and Soldiers, Marching. Malcolm, cousins, I hope the days are near at hand that chambers will be safe. Menteith, we doubt it nothing. Seward, what wo what wood is this before us? Menteith, the wood of Barnum. Malcolm, let every soldier hew him down a bow and bets before him. Thereby shall we shadow the numbers of our host and make discovery err uh, in reports of us. Not soldiers, it shall be done. Seward. We learn no other but the confident tyrant keeps still in Dunsinane and will endure our setting down before it. Malcolm, tis his hope, tis his main hope, for where there is advantage to be given, both more and less have given him the revolt, and none serve with him but constrained things whose hearts are absent too. Macduff, let our just censors attend the true event and put we on industrious soldiership. Seward, the time approaches that we will... That will with judici du no, I can't speak. Seward, the time approaches that will with due decision make us know what we shall say we have and what we owe. Thoughts speculative, their unsure hopes relate, but certain issue strokes must arbitrate towards which advance the war. Exuant marching. So there's not much you can say about the scene except for that their tone is positive and they're confident. Uh, Sibber says the confident tyrant keeps doing Dunsinane and will duel are setting down before it. They don't think Macbeth will win and they think they have high chances of winning. 
And Malcolm says, let every soldier hew him down a bow and bear it before him, which means tell every soldier to break off a branch and hold it in front of him. The prophecy is coming true because the prophecy is till Barnum Wood moves to Dunsinane and technically by breaking off a branch and bringing the branches with him, the wood, the Burnham wood is basically coming to Dunsinane. So again, just showing that the prophecy is coming true and and like telling the audience that Macbeth is most likely to be dying, to be dead. And that is it for these four scenes. Well done for getting it this far. And we've done four scenes today. And the next episode is going to be the last ever episode of the Macbeth series. Well, not really, but the annotating bit of it. Um, and we are almost finished, so don't give up now. For all of you who have watched the Macbeth analysis episode one, all the way to this episode, I'm really proud of you. Well done for sticking for this so long, for so long, in this whole series. And ultimately, you're gonna have really good annotative notes by the end of it. You're the one who's gonna gain from it. So well done. Thank you for listening to GCSC Revision with Jazz by Jazz. I hope this episode helped you in any way, shape, or form and that you have got some more annotations and your Macbeth booklet is starting to look pretty filled out. So, what I'm going to leave you with today is that this is the second last episode of Macbeth and the next episode of Macbeth might come out tomorrow, so the last episode annotating Macbeth. I think it will come out tomorrow, let's see. So, keep in tune for that. Make sure you've watched all the other Shakespeare uh, Macbeth episodes because I do go into higher level structures in all of them. And if you've just started on this episode, what are you doing? Go back and watch the other ones. Ah. Um, like I said, I hope this podcast helped you in any way. And feel free to go to my website for any questions or anything. Or just look at the website and just look at how amazing it is because honestly, I'm really proud of it. Um, or feel free to email me I do check my emails every single day so I'm basically a 30 year old in a 15 year old's body but yeah I do check it so if you have any questions any anything really just email me and my email is in the description of the podcast tell me some supportive comments I don't know whatever you want to do so thank you for listening have a good day wherever you are in the world <laughs>